Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from Tourist Yard in Sydney on the lands of the Gadigal people, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockrell. And our first official show for 2024, we look once again at artificial intelligence. It's been slightly over a year since ChatGPT was introduced to the public. At the onset of 2023, a ripple of concerns swept across the globe as individuals logged on to ChatGPT3, encountering the capabilities of generative AI for what, for many, was their initial exposure to this technology. It's fair to say that the waves of panic were felt most in professions that rely on the written word, and the profession that has felt the most panic and existential dread has been that of journalism. A new report from the University of Technology Sydney's Centre for Media Transition looks at how our major newsrooms in Australia are approaching AI and how they plan to use it in the future. The report is called Gen AI and Journalism and it provides an inside scoop on just what the sharpest minds in our media are currently thinking and what they are also fearing about the coming AI wave. To talk about this report, we are fortunate to have two of the authors with us. Professor Monica Attard is the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition. She's also a professor of journalism practice. She spent 28 years at the ABC and she is also a sometimes host of this program. Dr. Michael Davis is a research fellow at the UTS Centre for Media Transition. His research focuses on the understanding and developing effective responses to misinformation. He previously worked at the Australian Communications and Media Authority. Professor Monica Attard and Dr. Michael Davis, welcome to Fourth Estate. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Oh, hi, Anthony. How are you going? It's basically just over a year that AI became yet another thing we have to worry about. And in that time, uh, many of us have passed through you know, the shock and the scepticism of seeing AI in operation. And you know, there's now a general acceptance of the coming AI wave. Before we get into the report, I'd like to get each of you to talk about how your own thoughts and feelings have changed since ChatGPT3 went public at the end of 2022. Look, I think that we spent, in certainly in uh, journalism, many, many years, probably around a decade, thinking that a generative AI would come along and it would gobble up all of our jobs and it would be, you know, a quite devastating um, event that would not just be, uh, you know, another wave of, of, of technological disruption but would be so cataclysmic that it would it would it's, it would be an existential threat and then I think chat GPT was launched and very very soon it became apparent that there were quite severe limitations to its capacity to a disrupt and b to actually you know do what we feared it would do which is take over all of our jobs although having said that I think it's fair enough to say that you know, uh, and we and we say this in in the report that it, it truly is within the uh, the KPIs of any editorial manager in this country and probably globally at this point in time to have up their sleeve. You know, uh, skills to deal with questions around AI, around generative AI in particular. Bearing in mind that newsrooms have been using you know, normal AI, let's say, you know, just basic AI for, for years. Um, a lot of journalists have been using it and not really understood that it was AI. So, uh, I mean, I think that the game has changed in the sense that it's here, 
we know what its current capacity is. We know that those the problems associated with it are going to be resolved possibly at some point uh, and that it would be quite attractive for some newsrooms to use on a more substantial in a more substantial way because it, it will represent cost saving. So I think, you know, personally, my feelings about it have evolved from one of absolute terror and fear to, to uh, I've kind of reconciled myself to the fact that it's there and that it could be a positive thing um, so long as the guardrails, as we like to say, the, the ethical um, and editorial guardrails around it are really good. Michael, has there been a similar journey for you over the last year and a bit? Yeah, I'd say so, Anthony. Um, you know, the arrival of ChatGPT came with, uh, you know, a whole lot of noise, uh, I guess, a lot of coverage um, uh, in the news and, and in, you know, public, uh, online publications, tech publications and so on. And, and I think, um, you know, a lot of the initial reaction was somewhat overblown, um, both in a positive and negative um, sense, so that, um you know, the, the fear of um, job losses, as Monica said, um, or the fear of floods of disinformation um, was another one. The fear of, you know, inaccurate information um, suddenly appearing everywhere um, in our news. Um, these were the negatives. The positives were, you know, this is going to revolutionise journalism. It's going to save journalism. Um, you know, we're suddenly going to be able to produce an amazing amount of journalism that we couldn't before and, and so on. And, and I think both those perspectives were a little bit um, overblown. And what we're finding now is is a sort of gradual um, coming to grips with, uh, you know, what the generative AI revolution actually entails. Well, that's a good point for us to turn to the report. Monica, who did you speak to? Because there's a great range of people who have contributed to the support. Uh, well, we 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 tried to um, you know get a, a really good cross section of of people. Um, Lisa Main conducted the interviews for us. But so, for example, we spoke to Lenore Taylor, who's editor of Guardian Australia. Bevan Shields, who's the editor of the SMH. Um, uh, Sophia Chan, who's the growth content editor at the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, Justin Stevens at the ABC, uh, as well at the ABC, and, and uh, Angela Stengel, who's the head of digital content and innovation. We also spoke spoke to ABC Innovations, who, by the way, are now um, uh, experimenting with the possibility of creating an ABC, a bespoke ABC um, LLM, which will be interesting to to, to watch. We, we spoke to Melanie Wignall, who is um, well-known to you at to SCR, but is Head of News and Information at SCA. Um, and we spoke to the Daily Mail, Barclay Crawford, uh, the Newcastle Herald, Lisa Allen, and Saffron Howden, who's the uh, National Editorial Training Manager at ACM. So it's, you know, it's quite a cross-section of broadcast, print, um, audio, um, you know, big big media and and smaller. It's interesting too because it's a it's a, a a great mix of industry heavyweights, but there's also a lot of editorial muscle in that group, isn't there? Yeah, there is a lot of on, on the ground on the you know on the newsroom floor editorial muscle, and of course that's what's important because uh, you know they're the ones who are actually having to deal with journalists 
A, concerns on one level, and B, on the other, on the flip side, their excitement, the possibility of being able to use generative AI in the production of their journalism. So, um, you know, there are lots of forces at play in a newsroom at any time, any point in time. So having, uh, you know, having people whose job it is to actually manage those journalists and their expectations is important. Now, look, the news industry has been at the forefront of technological change since the invention of the printing press. Michael, did you find in putting this report together that these senior people in the industry were wanting to embrace this technology? I think we found that there was, you know, I guess a kind of cautious optimism uh, about the opportunities that that it presents. Um, You know, there's, and I mean, we probably emphasise the caution really because, uh, every newsroom that we spoke to uh, had decided not to use generative AI in the, you know, in the production of of editorial content, uh, which was good to see. Um, but you know that was born out of, you know, I guess uh, a kind of pessimism about uh, about its implications for editorial quality. You know, it became very quickly apparent the arrival of ChatGPT um, that it, you know, did have some serious flaws. Uh, in terms of the accuracy of the content that produces, uh, in terms of reproducing uh, bias in the training data, uh, and so forth, and you know th- these the people we spoke to are all very experienced editors uh, and well aware of the importance of maintaining the integrity of their content and the kinds of processes that are involved in maintaining the integrity of that content, and they certainly didn't want to see any. Um, breakdown in editorial processes uh, and editorial safeguards just with the arrival of a a shiny new tool. There's been a couple of high-profile fails in the US uh, last year. The the two that come to mind were uh, CNET and Sports Illustrated, both using AI content and getting caught not disclosing that the content was AI-generated. But in the case of Sports Illustrated, it was also the fact that a lot of that content was actually laughable in quality. Are those fiascos fresh in editors' minds in Australia? Definitely so. Um, They they certainly came up in conversation. uh, And um, I think, you know, here you can really see the difference between um, those kinds of uh, trade publications or news-adjacent publications and, you know, the hard news um, publications whose editors that we spoke to. And certainly they're much more cognizant of the need to maintain editorial quality, as I was saying. Um, and while there is still experimentation going on, uh, it's mostly happening um, on the back end, um, looking at, um, yeah, there is some generation of content going on, but um, certainly nothing that makes its way directly to publication without uh, human oversight. There are two ways that we can look at AI inside the sphere of journalism, and you've both kind of touched on this already. Uh, I mean, one is that AI will be a useful widget. Um, it will set uh, journalists free and make them more productive. The other idea of looking at AI is that it's basically Pandora's box and it will be the destruction of journalism. Let's look at these two ideas individually because they're kind of covered in the report. AI does promise to make the job of being a journalist easier. How did the editors view this more optimistic view on AI? Monica, maybe you can start on this one. Yeah, it is. It is. It's an interesting question. Um, look, I think most of the editors... Uh, as Michael said, you know they're, they're very cautious of um, the, the downside of, of 
of open slather use of generative AI, and nobody is doing that in Australia that we are aware of. Although I, I should add that um, Crikey has carried a story which is really interesting about an Australian news company that's accused of using generative AI to rewrite other media outlet stories and then publish them on their own on these on these on a number of websites that they've created in Queensland. Um, and so, you know, that on top of what we saw last year reported by NewsGuard when it, it identified 50 news websites around the world that were almost entirely written by artificial intelligence software and packed with, you know, mis and disinformation, um, you know, that does give you um, a bit of an idea about how it can be misused by cowboys, if, um, if for want of a better term. And, of course, we've seen, it also has to be said that we've seen just this week nine being um, trying to blame automation for the depiction of a, Victor a female Victorian MP in, you know, more revealing clothing than she actually was photographed in. So, you know, there there are some, there's a bit of slippage that happens um, and, and bearing in mind that in our report we spoke to uh we spoke to by and large mainstream media editors but i think it's fair to say that they see an opportunity for 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 them because it increases the value of their their product if they are seen as being very cautious about the use of ai that they make sure that they are transparent about it that they verify information before they publish any information you know, they they feel that that there is a role for AI, as Michael mentioned, and in the back end. So the kind of more arduous back end processes like SEO and meta tagging, um, and of course they want to experiment with it to see if they can get to new audiences. It is all about finding new audiences where they live, and AI is going to be incredibly useful in helping them uh, get to that point. But you know, that's counted with a real fear that we're entering a period or we are already in a period where deep fakes, um, you know, are quite sophisticated and that we don't have the tools to cope with what we're already facing, let alone what generative AI might throw up. So, you know, I think they're looking, I think it's the way we've couched it and the way we see it is that, um at the moment, Australian editors at this point in time are looking at generative AI as a means to augment the journalism that they produce rather than, you know, taking over or replacing journalists in the actual human production of journalism. Michael, do you see that AI, you know, in this, this more positive way of looking at it, will be a, a boost to productivity of journalists and will set newsrooms free? Oh, I think it I definitely will, Anthony. Um, you know, just in in the way that it um, can automate arduous tasks, uh, as, as Monica um, mentioned. Um, I think that's definitely going to be the the biggest use for it. Um, there'll be analytical tasks as well in terms of data analysis, um, where generative AI will be useful, just as previous generations of AI uh, have been useful. Um, and you know, we might see um, some, I guess, circumscribed uses of of it to generate um, content for publication as well that, um, you know, goes through the requisite um, verification and editorial processes. And, you know, in, in terms of, uh, I guess, drafting and things like that, it, it can be useful, um, you know, as long as those processes are there and can certainly free up time for journalists to, you know, undertake other tasks where, 
you know, they need to get out into the field and do some reporting, for example. Um, and generative AI um, is not very good at that, but it can supplement, you know, some of the research tasks that journalists do. So I, I think there's definitely opportunity there. Everyone we spoke to is exploring the opportunities. Um, of course, um, there's a bit of disparity um, in, you know, how much time and how much money they can devote to exploring those opportunities and the bigger um, the bigger newsrooms are certainly uh, at an advantage there. Mm. Um, but certainly over the next couple of years, I, th I think we're going to see, um, you know, a range of uses of generative AI that, you know, haven't even been considered yet. Can I just add there as well to what Michael is saying that, you know, what we did find was that um, the, there, the bigger organisations are devoting quite considerable, you know, resources to exploring what they need to do to protect the integrity of their product. They were all very, very concerned about information integrity, and it's quite genuine. I mean, they are very concerned that the information ecosystem doesn't become more polluted than it already is and that they don't contribute to that pollution. Uh, so they, they, have, they are devoting quite considerable resources at the ABC, at News Limited. We know that they're doing that certainly at Guardian Australia from uh, Guardian from the Guardian in the UK all the way through to its you know colonial outposts in Australia and in the United States. Uh, and they are taking a kind of a holistic approach to the way they look at it as well. So they're looking at it legally, technically, um, editorially. And I think one of the big things, and, and certainly one of the issues that we at the CMT are going to be spending this year looking at, is uh, the extent to which they are focusing on the development of ethical guidelines and editorial policies that can support um, the generation, the the propagation of generative AI in the in the production cycle of journalism, without uh, without putting journalism, um, uh, you know, with, without endangering journalism, without endangering the the basic precepts of public interest journalism. Look, this endangering of uh, journalism, I guess, there's two aspects to it. One is we've just been talking about. These tools could be, you know, a major boost to productivity. Um, but you know, if they if they boost productivity a lot, then you don't need so many journalists in your newsroom, do you? No, but I don't think that that's going. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting because I don't. That doesn't seem to be a big fear. That fear has really subsided quite a lot. Um, and now that 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 possibly is because in the first iteration, for example, of Chat GPT. It, you know, it's it's really obvious that the the machine is not capable of writing uh, a copy in a language that's particularly, you know, readable. It's very obvious that it's machine generated, mm. and of course, that's not to mention the the very real possibility that it's hallucinating as. You know, it's known uh, that is it's getting stuff wrong. It's just not right. So I, I, I think the, that a lot of newsrooms are kind of calmed down a little bit about that issue of um, of jobs being overtaken. And do, will, will that change? I mean, is it quite? It's quite possible that that fear will reignite and that it will become a, um, a significant issue in newsrooms again once the manufacturers have ironed out all the problems and then you might have some proprietors or editorial bosses who say you know we can we can produce this product a lot more cheaply if we just get 
a machine to do it. But as Michael said, that's never going to substitute for a reporter burning shoe leather, you know, and get being out at press media conferences or or going out to do interviews or going out to an accident site or, you know, the kind of bread and butter of journalism, which is actually witnessing events and reporting on them and adding to that some human analysis, um, which is contextualised um, and impartial. Uh, so even once you get rid of all the problems out of the LLM models, you you still you're still going to be left with the possibility that um, that you don't you can't verify where that information is coming from, and verification is a really really important part of the journalism model because it it increases public trust in journalism, um, and. Uh, you know, it it ensures that there's a degree of impartiality in the reporting of events that that makes people want to trust journalism. So I don't, I can't, I just at this point in time, and that might change, and and maybe technology will be completely all over this by the end of this year because you know the way technology moves, it can go in leaps and bounds, and other times go very very slowly. But it would seem to me that at this point in time. I don't think the negatives are, are galloping out of control. It does feel that way. And I, I do remember like doing the very first show that uh, Forfa State did last year was about AI. And at the time, it did kind of feel like the, the, the sky was falling in. And, you know, uh, we've had time to properly use these uh, these platforms and see that they have major limitations. But there's also a massive amount of money being invested in removing these limitations so I guess that I guess the problem is we can only we can only speculate on what's in front of us, not what might be coming down the pipe. But let's let's move to uh, disinformation because it is a major part of the report, and I, I, it was one aspect where I thought the editors that you spoke to had some uh, uh, some very important points um, that needed to be made, and it's clear that they're thinking about it very seriously and and and, and in a deep and nuanced way. It's one thing to live in a hyper-partisan world where, you know, uh, people can't agree on facts, but a world where journalists in the same newsroom might struggle to agree on facts is a scary place. Can you talk about what the editors were thinking about this and and, and did they see a way through it? Sure. I think, um, and and this goes to to what Monica was just um, saying as well, is that, um, you know, generating by AI makes it easier to produce prose, you know, credible sounding prose. you know, um, but this can be used for good or ill. Um, it can be used to produce bad journalism. It can be used to produce quality journalism. It can be used to produce um, mis and disinformation as well. So, you know, it really hangs on um, what are the institutions that are making use of these tools and what kinds of processes, safeguards and guidelines do they have in place and what are their objectives even. If your objective is to, you know, flood the zone with shit, so to speak, then... Um, ChatGPT makes that easy for you. If your objective is to produce quality journalism, then ChatGPT might help you do that as well. Um, so I think what you know, one of the biggest takeaways that that we had was that um, many of the editors are you know see an opportunity for quality journalism here, as the information environment gets increasingly polluted, um, you know, with with junk as well as with um, um, you know content produced by content farms, like Monica mentioned earlier, as well as, you know, more nefarious um, problems, including deep fakes and, and misinformation, there's really a space um, opening up for quality publications to step in and, um, you know, continue doing 
um, what they've always done, produce quality news, quality journalism, and in fact, have more resources available to do that due to their journalists being freed up from some of those mundane tasks that um, they've had to perform uh, as you know, digitalization has crept into the newsroom, for example. So th- that was one of the biggest things is that, you know, one of the biggest opportunities that we saw was that, you know, so much time now is spent in, in a journalist day doing these tasks that they find mundane, that take up a lot of time, adapting content to various different um, digital platforms and, and, and formats and so on. And if ChatGPT can perform those tasks for them, then, then you know, that really does give them that opportunity to get out there and, and do the actual quality reporting. So while there is definitely going to be a problem that we see with an increase in misinformation, um, you know, that's generated by AI and facilitated by AI, at the same time, um, you know, quality journalism is, is going to play uh, a very important role in counteracting that. Uh, and that's why, you know, we think that it's important that um, some kind of common guidelines uh, are developed, that the news industry, um, you know, everyone speaks to each other about set- setting appropriate um, boundaries um, for proper use of AI. And also that we think that there's opportunity in the on the policy and regulatory side for, um, you know, governments to promote quality news as well as uh, step in to, to uh, regulate propagation of misinformation. You know, the thing about um, journalism is that a really important part of the journalism process is 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 verifying material. Um, and we've kind of come through 10 years of, um, of looking at verification as though providing a URL in copy is kind of the stamp of approval. You know, that that is that is to verify information that, that you're that you're reading. How many people click through to verify uh, whether that URL is actually, you know, confirming what they've just read is another question altogether, probably not many. But if they did click through, are they going to be clicking through to an original source of, of information or are they clicking through to a piece of analysis which references some original source? So, you know, that's in that's what we can't, that's what the problem of verification that we deal with now. With generative AI, where um, the where, where the the uh, the machine doesn't give you information about where it's sourcing information, and then if you specifically go in and ask it for information about where it's sourcing the material, it might throw up a number of you know it might say here's three sources uh, that you can look at which we've looked at, but it's not the complete that's not the complete um, array of sources that we've used. See, verification remains really, really problematic for the system. So it's going to be up to media organisations to say, well, actually, that's not good enough. Um, and it, it, as Michael mentioned, the, you know, there, there may need to be a set of principles that everybody signs up to, in a sense, and says that we all agree that the, 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 the bare minimum um, that we would expect in terms of verification would be this and that everybody sticks to that. Now, will they all stick to it? Probably not. Not so, Probably not even some of the high-end, more reputable ones, let alone the other shonkier operators, of which there are quite a few even in Australia. So, you know, it is a really, really difficult issue. But, but trust in news is really essential for most, um, most you know, public interest journalism um media models in this country and maintaining that trust in an age where you've got all of this 
fake stuff coming at you where you have misinformation that is barely detectable, where you've got generative AI which can't give you the source of where it's getting its information from. Uh, they're all really, really big, tough questions that media is going to have to deal with and really fast because, you know, generative AI is on the doorstep. And trust is a, a very important term here and it's something that obviously that news organisations take seriously. You know, 10 years ago, I might have trusted various things that I have saw on Twitter where now I wouldn't trust a single thing that I see on Twitter. That could be the future of the news and I think that's the worry, isn't it, that uh, the editors were talking about in the report. With trust, once it's lost, it's very hard to get it back. Uh, I'd be interested to see if both of you, how you feel that the media organisations that we were talking about here will be able to maintain this trust. Monica, do you think that they will be able to? I think the ones who currently have the resources to throw at creating uh, appropriate, you know, uh, appropriate editorial policy is an ethical guidelines, etc. cetera, um, we, we'll be able to. Um, you know, I think the, they're the ones who are really, really taking it very, very seriously. It'll be an opportunity for them to actually stand out in a sea of operators that, you know, are, are quite possibly less trustworthy. Um, so, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm not unhopeful. I think I think that there is a way to do it. I think that it would take, um, it'll take a, a lot of, uh, resources from the perspective of media organisations. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it'll take doing what they have always been very reluctant to do because they're so competitive, which is to come together and agree on uh, on a way forward with with generative AI in particular. Um, I'm not I'm not quite sure whether they have the capacity to do that, whether they will see past their competitive um you know, outlooks to want to do that, but it would be, I think it will become important to do that. Trust is important, and but trust is a commodity that uh, that editors and publishers understand, um, even if uh, we're, you know, in an environment of decreasing trust. Um, I think trust is very difficult to measure and to understand what it is. Um, at the same time, I do think, I do agree with you that, that you know, social media um generates distrust, um, at least certain formats of social media. And so news organisations, you know, I, I think probably over the next couple of years we'll see a reconsideration of social media strategies for news organisations as some of the familiar um, social media platforms become more and more polluted. Um, Twitter especially, um, you know, you, you've already, you can already see on Twitter the influence of generative AI, you know, in the way that threads get flooded with um, spurious content and tangential content. Um, so I think, you know, um, we'll probably see a movement away from some of those platforms and, and you know, perhaps there'll be other platforms that, that um, are more amenable to, you know, the distribution of, of trusted news and, and, you know, we might see... Uh, an increase in audience trust as a result. And I think really all all um, news companies can do is to continue to produce quality journalism, as, as Monica says. Okay, so look, our newsrooms are taking a wait-and-see approach. What about government? There's no serious regulatory approach so far. Do both of you think it's appropriate for you know, a government when it comes to regulating AI to just wait and see what happens? Or should they be being much more proactive right now and heading off some of these existential risks that we've been talking about. Michael? 
you know, well, I think that the, yeah, it depends what you mean by existential risks. If you mean you know, risks to the news industry. Um, well, probably about disinformation. Yeah, okay. So, well, I think, um, you know, the, the government is considering misinformation legislation at the moment, as well as uh, a kind of AI policy strategy. Um, so I think it's important that they take into account the information environment as a whole and try to develop a coherent um, policy and, and, and set of regulations um, and consider how, um, you know, quality news and information, the role that quality news and information plays in um, generating a, a, a public sphere that's worth, you know, um, participating in and paying attention to, um, as well as looking at, you know, problematic information, misinformation and so on. Um, I do think that transparency is a real issue with AI, and that's something that comes out in the report. Um, and I think that's there's there's a, a strong role for regulation there, um, where you know it's important when you know customers of, of AI companies and AI tools um, are aware of the limitations of the tools that they're using. And I think I think that's important. So. Um, but in order to be aware of those limitations, then those limitations need to be transparent. So I think, you know, we, we need to be looking at regulation, you know, with the, the sale of AI tools so that the users of those AI tools are aware of, you know, what, what can they be used for and what, what should, be, should we be cautious of when we're using them. At the same time, you know, there's transparency needed when AI is actually used. So the users also need to be transparent about what they're doing um, with those tools. As far as the kind of safeguards that go in an editorial sense, apart from transparency, um, I think you know the the principles that that we have in our editorial guidelines, codes of practice, and so on are already um, the right kinds of principles. And I don't think generative AI changes that. Um, but what might be needed is, as Monica mentioned um, before, is a kind of industry wide approach towards um, implementation. Um, to ensure that those principles are maintained as as AI is rolled out. Well, look, finally, major disruption is not something new to our newsrooms. They've already experienced it before. The internet has been an incredible challenge for newsrooms around the world. But it strikes me this time, um, unlike that particular event, that media organisations and journalists are seeing this particular challenge coming and are not uh, in a state of denial. Are you both optimistic that our media will come out of this disruption and come out of disru- disruption in a in a healthy state. Yes, yes, and no, really. Um, yes, if they if certain boxes are ticked along the route along the the way to the you know to the end point wherever that is and whenever it comes and and no because Australian media doesn't have a great track record of being able to react fast enough to avoid um, some of the you know the. The, the existential problems, as you put it, but um, I mean, I think they would, you know, even the disinformation one would be quite a, an existential challenge for Australian media. But you know, you look at the way we coped with um, the in the early days of the internet, um, it, it, it almost broke media globally. But Australia was of particular concern because it's such a small market, and you know, we ha- we don't have a fabulous track record of reacting in a timely fashion um, and appropriately. We tend to sit back and wait to see what the rest of the world is doing and I have a small fear that that might happen in Australia in relation to AI, Um, although, you know, it's important to note that Australia is actually um, a signatory to 
the uh, the protocols that came out of the UK recently in October 2023, when there was a, a global AI summit at Bletchley Park in um, in England. So you know we're there, we're at the table, and we're talking. Um, we're, we're aware of what the problems are. Um, we just have to make sure that we act in a timely way. Professor Monica Atthard and Dr. Michael Davis, thanks for being on Four for State. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. If you want to read the report that we have just been discussing, it's called Gen AI and Journalism, and you can find it on the Centre for Media Transitions website. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Turo CR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Four for State is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Four for State on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is AU, and we are also on threads. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>